Welcome to the Soccer Metrics Podcast, a discussion and interview series with leading names in the soccer analytics world. Here's your host, the founder of Soccer Metrics, Howard Hamilton. Welcome to episode number seven of the Soccer Metrics Podcast for the 6th of December, 2013. Soccer Metrics Podcast is an information and interview series with leading figures from the soccer analytics world with occasional forays into the broader world of football business and sports analytics. This edition of the Soccer Metrics Podcast comes at a special time because it's also the day of the World Cup Finals draw. The draw was held about three hours ago, and here's a recap of how the groups turned out. In Group A, in Group A we have the host in Group A, we have the host Brazil, then Croatia, Mexico, and Cameroon. So Brazil will open the World Cup against Croatia on June 12. Group B is Spain, Netherlands, Chile, and Australia. Group C, Colombia, Greece, Ivory Coast, Japan. And Group D, Uruguay, Costa Rica, England, and Italy. In Group E, Switzerland had the group, followed by Ecuador, France, and Honduras. Group F, Argentina, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Iran, and Nigeria. Group G, Germany, Portugal, Ghana, USA. And Group H, Belgium, Algeria, Russia, and South Korea. So we've assembled an all-star panel to discuss the draw from traditional and analytical perspectives. Joining me are Albert Larcada of ESPN Stats Information, Bobby McMahon, formerly of Fox Soccer, now columnist at Forbes.com, and Axel Torres, international football columnist at Spanish Sports Daily Marca and match analyst at Gold Televisión in Spain, which, in case you're wondering, has no relation to Gold TV in the USA. So, gentlemen, thanks for joining me, and I'll start with you, Bobby. What are your overall impressions of the draw? Um, it's a bit patchy, I think, because there's some um, there's some groups there that are obviously incredibly difficult, and the prospects of some of the games have our mouths watering already. Um, but there's also other groups where, when you go through them, I think you can make legitimate cases. Instead of we always talk about the group of death and you know how you can make a case for any of these countries qualifying, I think you can go through a couple of these groups at least and make a good case for none of these teams qualifying. Um, so it, I, I would um, I would categorize it as a bit of an inconsistent draw. Okay. Um, how about you, Axel? How do you see the draw? I think it's very interesting because we have three groups uh, in which uh, I think the level of uh, the last three teams is, is very high. Um, even I, I think the Germany, United States, Ghana, uh, Portugal group is a group in which you have uh, four teams that could qualify for uh, second round or even quarterfinals. I think you can see it in another group. And in the end of the day, it, it, it makes an interesting competition from the first day. Not, not, uh, you, you don't have to wait to the second round or quarterfinals. You will have uh, great games in the, uh, from the first day. And I think it is very, very interesting for the show. Okay. Um, how about you, Albert? How do you see the draw? Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, it, the FIFA using their ranking system as a way to bond groups together. You know, some people can argue with their methodology and all that, but I think for what they're trying to do, it's actually... Could you check your microphone, please, Albert? 
Albert? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Um, I can barely hear you. You might want to adjust your volume. Sorry. Hear me now. Uh oh. Uh oh. Um, yeah, I can barely hear you. Um, are you close to your microphone? Uh, could get a little closer, probably. Yeah, that's that's yeah, it. Go. Oh, there we go. All right. Um, yeah. So anyway, I was saying um, the the. By the way, they pod teams together in the beginning of the of the uh, draw. It's it, it leads to these kind of interesting matchups where every team not in the seeded pods wanted Switzerland, who was an obvious thing. Whereas if you actually had the clear top eight teams in the world, it's a little bit of less interest, a little less buzz. So I I actually love the way that they pod teams together. I think it's it's adds for uh, it adds entertainment. It adds kind of everything they want the the draw to be. So um, I think you saw that you end up with clearly uneven groups there's i think anyone would argue that there's some groups that are harder than others and uh, i think that's overall good for the game good for the tournament yeah my impression was that um i think i, I was expecting more than two groups of death i thought there was a chance of three groups of death in this tournament because um there were very few weak teams in the final 32 so the fact that we seem to have some uneven groups um i think that was a surprise to me um, so I, I think it's pretty clear that Group G is a very difficult group, and Group D is a little is not yeah Group D is very difficult as well. But we can go into more detail about that. Um, so I guess let's go into some detail of of the eight groups, starting with Group A, and Group A is, Group A have the hosts, uh, then Croatia, Mexico, and Cameroon. And I'll start. I'll start the conversation with you, Albert. I know you had you had published a chart of the of the probabilities of each team going on to the next round. Um, could you could you discuss that chart and I guess more broadly the prospects of the teams in Group A? Sure. Yeah. So uh, one of the things we want to do this year for the draw was have uh, immediately following this kind of cool interactive uh, chart where you could get obviously see the probabilities of each team advancing from their group, winning their group, a couple other miscellaneous things, um, but just kind of in a nice, clean, easy to use way. So we were able to get that on ESPNFC.com a few minutes after the draw was over. So that worked out well. Uh, for the rest of Group A, um, I think it's a dream draw for Brazil, to be honest with you. I don't know how much better it could have gotten. SPI has them as a 99.6% favorite to advance. Um, Brazil, we have as number one team in the world. They're playing at home, so there really wasn't a bad draw for them, but it's hard to get better than 99.6%. Um, they avoided every other team that they could have possibly wanted to avoid. I think the next highest-ranked team in their group is Mexico at 26. So... Um, I'd say my overall impression is just that couldn't have gotten any better for Brazil. Okay. Um, anyone else? Well, I think Mexico got a great draw. Apart from Brazil, I think uh, they've got a good schedule. Uh, they don't have great distances to travel. The problem, of course, is they're not playing very well. Um, but if they find any sort of form at all, I could very much see them um, getting past Croatia and possibly Cameroon. Um, but I think, you know, all things considered, Mexico came out the hat quite early. If they dropped into A2 rather than A3, 
it would have been completely different for them. They would have had a travel schedule from hell. But as it was, uh, dropping in A3 was really quite a break for them. So um, I think that if they can find any sort of form, uh, it could turn out to be a good draw for the Mexicans. Uh, for me, it's it's obvious that uh, Brazil is is, is uh, the, the the big the big one in in this in this group A, but um, uh, Croatia is not a, an easy team. Croatia is a is a good team. I think they will improve with a new coach uh, Niko Kovac uh, because uh, they, they had some problems in the qualification. They changed for the playoff, and and Niko Kovac is is uh, some. He is a former player of this team. He was teammate of this player. So I, I think they, they can make it difficult to everyone, as they did in, in the last European Championship. They, they draw against uh, Italy. They, they lost in the, in the last minute against Spain and could have won. So I, I think they, they have a very, very good team. And obviously, Mexico, um, uh, you know better than me, but uh, they have great potential, but they are not playing well. Uh, we don't know if the game against New Zealand uh, was a good one to see if they are improving or, or not with new coach. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, Croatia or Mexico uh, to to fight for the second spot, and I don't see Cameroon with a lot of uh, possibilities. I think they are uh, a worse team than. Four eggs and twelve years ago. Okay. Um, so, how do you see? Um, I, well, before we get into Group B, I want to get a little bit more into the article that that Bobby wrote a few days ago about just just how uneven how even the groups were in terms of the position that teams landed in, because the position that a team landed in would deter would have a big impact on temperature variations that they would experience and distances that they would have to travel and even the time between matches that they would have to play um is it is it more uneven uh, we've had world cups in large countries before like usa for example um is it more uneven than usa 94 and could be a precursor of what we'll experience in russia in four years time well, it's, it's a, Brazil decided, they made the decision to take away regionalization. Even with the United States in 1994, you started off with regionalization at the group stage. So you had um, you had the city set, there was very little travel. Everybody was essentially playing under the same conditions. It's not unusual to have at World Cups, some teams, some countries having to travel much further than others. But what is really almost unheard of is the fact that you've got teams within the same group with vastly varying schedules. Now, um, you've got one issue with whether you whether you track the mileage from going venue to venue to venue or whether somebody's using a base camp and going there and back. But whichever way you cut it, some of the, the, the uh, variances from team to team and group to group is, is, is just to, to the point where it's, in my opinion, completely inequitable. You're looking at the United States in a group against Germany. United States have got massive fluctuations in temperature they're going to have to deal with, plus they're going to have to travel about three times as far as Germany. That's within one group. I don't know. I don't see how that can be considered a level playing field as far as groups are concerned. Okay, we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's uh, talk about Group B, uh, which is Spain, Netherlands, Chile, and Australia. 
And I'll let either one of you uh, start the discussion. Well, does anybody think Australia is going to qualify? <laughs> Maybe the least likely of all 32. Yes. Yeah. So for, for me, this is actually the, the group of death. The way I define it would be teams who have legitimate chances of winning the World Cup, which I believe Spain does, and some may argue Chile or Netherlands do as well. There's three teams in here that have legitimate chances of going all the way to the final and winning the World Cup. Australia, I'm not counting them. <laughs> um, it's, you'll, you'll get weighed down by the fact that Australia is in there since obviously they're a poor quality team relative to this field. But um, having three teams of this quality in the same group, to me, makes this the group of death. Right. Um, I think it's rather unfortunate for Australia because I felt in 2006 – they're a much, they're a much better team in 2006, and they came within the speed penalty of playing Italy, almost all the way to the limit. Um, but 2010, I, 2010, they were a spent force, and I think 2014 is going to tell the world what we've probably known for four or five years. Um, well, I, th I think with Australia, it was a golden generation of players that have just got old. And they haven't replaced them with the same quality. And uh, I think if, if it, it seems to me if the qualification was perhaps two years on, um, Australia would have really struggled badly to qualify this time around. They're in a bit of a tailspin. Right. I think the, the I agree that if you look at Spain, Netherlands and, and Chile, uh, there are three very, very, very good teams as you can... Uh, have in, in the group D with Uruguay, Inglaterra, uh, England, and, and Italy. But uh, I, I, for me, the group of death is, is Germany's one because I think four teams can qualify, and I don't think so in, in group B. Uh, in, in Spain, people is a little bit squared with that uh, draw because nobody expected uh, to have uh, to play against uh, the, the rival of, of last final. And because everybody remembered Chile was a team that maybe the, the worst half an hour of the World Cup for Spain yeah. was against Chile. And, and Vicente del Bosque uh, told before the draw that his uh, uh, priority was to avoid Chile. And first rival was Chile. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult draw uh, for me, even the, the schedule, because uh, you you play uh, Australia the the last one and if you have a, a bad result in in the first game against Netherlands you have a lot of pressure against against Chile and and uh, maybe you in the third game against Australia you are not depending on yourself and it could be a problem. And I think there's a kicker to this group as well, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves with predictions and all the rest of it, but my understanding, my looking at the draw for the round of 16, does the runner-up in Group B not play the winner of Group A in the next in the round of 16? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. So you so you really need to have, you're, you're looking at Brazil probably, almost certainly, certainly 99.6% chance, I would think, of, of, of being Brazil in the next round. So it's not a case of coming out of the group, it's really, I think, to some extent, coming out of the group as a group leader. Yeah, yes, I, I agree with that, too. Yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, uh, then you have to, to play Brazil if you are second uh, runner-up, and 
and uh, I don't think uh, it, it it makes you uh, it it it's sure you will lose, but. Obviously, it's not the same to play against yeah. Croatia or Mexico than to play against uh, Brazil. I, I think it's it's important also, yeah. Yeah, I think it's an unfortunate draw for, for Chile because I, I think Chile plays a style of play that most of the world has very has much difficulty adapting to. But I think that it would... I think that if they finish second in the group and up playing Brazil... It's almost a certain loss for Brazil. I mean, it's almost a certain loss for Chile because while Chile plays style of play that most of their opponents have difficulty adapting to, they also play a style of play that plays into the hands of teams like Brazil and maybe Argentina. Um, you know, if they get caught out in the in a counterattacking situation, um, I think they are very vulnerable. The one thing I thought that, that that perhaps we're seeing a little bit different uh, a difference in in terms of Chile since the last World Cup under uh, Belsa, Chile were very much uh, it was also it was almost like a frenetic kind of uh, a tactic or a frenetic approach to the game and the number of, they got themselves in trouble with fouls and yellow cards because they were pressing so hard and so vigorously. Watching Chile during some of the games, and I didn't watch all their games during World Cup qualifying, but the couple of times I did see them, and when I saw them against England at Wembley, I thought it, I thought that kind of frenetic edge had been taken off them. They were pressurising in a far more intelligent way than they had before. I think climatically they've got a little bit of an advantage here as well. So, you know, it's 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 going to be very very difficult. I think the way the draw sets out, it could be an advantage to Chile because they've got Australia first. I think that's a good draw, uh, as far as they're concerned. Tough group to begin with, but if they were going to have uh, a group uh, schedule, Chile first was going to be uh, against his, Chile against Australia was going to be good for them. Yeah, because the start of the group winning is very, very, very important. So uh, if you have Australia the, the first, uh, and you get a result, uh, then uh, you have that uh, advantage, uh, and uh, the pressure is not. Uh, it, it, the pressure is, 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 is for the other team, yep. so it is very, 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 very important. I, I, I have seen Chile, uh, they, they have uh, uh, Jorge Sampaoli, which is a, yep. a, a manager, uh, he learned a lot uh, uh, from Marcelo Bielsa, he says always that Marcelo Bielsa is his, his mentor, he, he learned about uh, football, uh, studying him. But uh, but obviously there are differences and and, and and they are playing really well. Uh, when they changed the coach, uh, they were not in in the top four in in South America. And uh, with uh, San Paoli, they have improved a lot, a lot in the last game. All right, um, let's go into group Group C now: uh, Colombia, Greece, Ivory Coast, and Japan. And Albert, um, how do you see this group? Yeah, this is a pretty even group, I think. Um, all four teams have a legitimate chance of advancing. Um, Greece, to me, is, is sort of a strange team. They're known for the one nothing wins and kind of scraping by, getting the... Uh, I remember in uh, 04 they did that a lot, but... Um, I think that I think that Ivory Coast people are underrating a little bit. Um, they've sort of been the guy, they've been the team in Africa for a long time, haven't really maybe lived up to the expectation that some other players have for their clubs. But um, I think 
I think people are, are underestimating a little bit, kind of overlooking them, thinking they might be a little bit past their prime. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ivory Coast makes it out of this group. Uh, Colombia and Ivory Coast would be my two picks, but obviously, any Japan or Greece have just as likely of a chance. Um, I just, I, I, I like Ivory Coast in this group. I think they're picking up on the Greece thing. I think Greece could perhaps be the banana skin for one of the other three teams. Um, but I just they, they have this habit of winning games you don't expect them to win and losing games you expect them to win. Uh, but they are difficult to break down, and I think they have got that potential of pulling off a surprise. I think it would be surprised if if this if that was taken to the level of of uh, qualifying for the group. But Colombia, I think, are in a, in a very strong position climactically. Um, maybe their form just dipped a little bit over the last couple of months, so it'll be interesting to see, see if they can come with the second surge. Uh, Japan, I thought I, I quite quite fancy Japan as a a team that might go at the last eight of the World Cup before the Confederations Cup last year. But I was badly, I was really disappointed by them. I think they played some good football, but defensively they were horrible. So unless they fix these problems, that's going to be a problem for them. Ivory Coast, I think Ivory Coast really unlucky in the last two World Cups in terms of the, the groups that they've drawn have been very difficult groups. I, tend, I think maybe this is the easiest group. This is the easiest group they've had in terms of World Cup finals. But um, if they get through, I can't see them going much further than the last 16. I think this is the easiest group. I agree. But maybe they are uh, worse than uh, four years ago and eight years ago. Um, and I think that's because uh, some of the top players are not um, so good. They are older. I, I refer to Drogba, I refer to Colo Touré, which was a world-class defender in 2006 and maybe 2010 also. And, and now uh, uh, they are not... Uh, I, I think that the golden time of this generation was uh, some years ago, but uh, what it's true is that this group is, is uh, easier, easier than the groups of the last two World Cups. And Yaya Toure is a player that he is really in top form. Maybe he's best player in the group uh, outside of Colombia. Uh, you, you look at, at Greece, you look at Japan, you look at uh, Ivory Coast, and maybe the, the top player is, is Yaya Toure. So if he is good in, in, the, in the group, they have a chance. For me, Colombia is, is obviously the, the top team in the group. I agree with that. It's 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 more that Ivory Coast just got a pretty good draw. Colombia is yeah. a clear favorite here, but uh, I think Ivory Coast did get really unlucky in 2010, obviously in Brazil, Portugal. But um, this is a this is a dream draw for them, and they like you say they, they still have talent better. All they have to do is beat Greece and Japan, and they have better talent than Greece and Japan, so they should be the favorite. Yeah, it, it, it's funny when I when I see Colombia as as a CEO team or a team that has very high expectations, I keep on thinking back to USA 94 because, <laughs> you, know, you know, Pele said that Pele yeah. said Colombia was going to win the World Cup. You know, they had the famous result in Buenos Aires, and then the bomb just fell out. Um, I, I, they're a much better team now than they were 20 years ago. 
And um, they have uh, goal scorers. Uh, I think that the key is that they are one of the teams with better goal scorers in in the wall, and not only yeah. Radamel Falcao. It's uh, Jackson Martinez. Yeah. They, they have uh, a lot of strikers with with uh, um, a, a lot of uh, goals to to score. That the their numbers are very 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 good. Right. They seem they seem to be a, quite a pacey team as well. Like they've got the, the the times I've seen them, I've been impressed at how quickly they break and some of the the way they transition. But just pure foot uh, foot speed for some of these players, some of the players they've got is they they have a definite quickness about them that will cause uh, that will cause other teams problems. I think. So I'm I'm interested. Do any of you guys actually think Colombia has a chance to win the World Cup? No. <laughs> Okay, that, that's uh, I No, uh, <laughs> I, I think they, they I, I said yesterday in a radio show that I think that Colombia and Belgium uh, could be semi-finalist. Um, it could uh, not be the biggest surprise of all time. Uh, they, they have a chance, but they have uh, maybe uh, there are six, seven teams that have more chances than them. Axel, that's 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 an interesting point you bring up because I think what we we need to 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 kind of frame up. We we always talk about dark horses for a tournament, but the reality is dark horses don't win the World Cup. You got to go back to 1954 for Germany to win, which is probably was a shock in its time. But since then, there hasn't really been World Cup shocks as far as winners concerned. When you talk about a dark horse for the World Cup, you're really talking about getting to the last four. Now there's a history of teams coming from no place and getting to the last four. But when people talk about Colombia or Belgium winning the World Cup, I, I just sorry, but I just don't see it. I think we're we're always going to come back to the usual suspects. Yeah, I agree. I, I th that's why I brought it up. It's we talk about a lot of these teams, Colombia and Chile, Netherlands, and they, it sounds good. You know, they have potential. They could do this and that. But when it comes down to it. There's four yeah. favorites in this tournament. I think everyone. I, I haven't yet to hear someone say Brazil, Spain, Germany, or Argentina. If, uh, if if anyone's going to pick against those four teams, I'd, I'd like to hear from them. And I think you're spot on. I think and I think the overall draw begins to take you that way as well because you look at the permutations and you keep on coming back to these four teams. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think Colombia's. Uh, I think Colombia has a chance of making it to the quarterfinals, but I don't think we've had a true. I I probably doing a blank right now but i don't think we've had a true dark horse semifinalists since 2002 when we had two of them um but um i, I don't i don't see one happening this time around uruguay um, in 2010 maybe they, they sort of got lucky with the draw but i don't think many people had them making the semifinals in 2010. No. okay uh, yeah okay Port said. portugal portugal 2006 was a bit of a surprise for most people as well I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, because most were, yeah, you, you have 94 Bulgaria and Sweden is is yep. also very 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 uh, surprising and uh, and 2002 as you said you have Turkey and and Korea uh, so uh, semi-finals yeah uh, we have seen but in in final in in the final game not uh, I only remember one thing similar but it, it was not in World Cup it was European Championship. Greece won the European Championship in 2004, and it was the the biggest shock I've seen in football uh, ever. Uh, but but you, more, know, you don't remember. Denmark. Denmark. You don't remember Denmark. <laughs> 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 they got called off the beach to play. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't see it in a World Cup because uh, it's, it's, uh, you have more teams of uh, quality. You have Brazil, you have Argentina, you have Brazil playing at home, you have Lionel Messi. Uh, I think he's really playing well since Sabella is the, the manager. Uh, he's playing well with the national team. Now he's injured, but we don't know. Uh, in in seven months, uh, uh, I think they will be very motivated to win in Brazil also. You also got to remember as well when we compare championships, the World Cup's an extra is a is a longer tournament and got that extra round of play in there as well, which always it doesn't sound like a lot, but you actually you add another round of knockout, and that sets up a whole bunch of other potential eventuality so you know it's it's the pressure i think the world cup pressure is far different than europe as well and literally the chance as you begin to feel that you're going on and and that you've got a chance of being a world championship it must be the absolute intense pressure that all the players are under and so i think that really uh, reinforces the notion you go back to the usual suspects as being the ones most likely to win it and with this tournament in particular too if you look back at qualifying, you probably have the top 15, maybe top 18 teams in the world in this tournament. There really wasn't a team that didn't make it that should have made it. Yeah. So that's sort of, in my opinion, that decreases the chances of these, you know, Algeria's, Costa Rica's, Honduras, these types of teams that usually have no chance. They have even less chance now because there's so many good teams you have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about um, Group D. Um which I think will get a lot of attention in the English language press. Um, Uruguay, <laughs> Uruguay, Costa Rica, England, and Italy. So, um, you know, there's that famous book, Soconomics, that talks about the typical, typical stages in the cycle of expectation among England uh, football fans and the press. You know, overinflate expectations, then reality comes crashing in, and then a period of saying you're the worst team in the world, and then it goes back on the upswing after a couple of good results. Um, Howard, you're, in... Howard, you're talking about the most enjoyable thing for a Scotsman that any World Cup can bring. <laughs> the English media getting themselves totally out of control and watching them watch them crash and burn. Like, I was unfortunate. The very first World Cup I ever remember as a kid was England 66. Unfortunately, it's never happened again. <laughs> But of course, there's there's 1978, Bobby. So you know about inflated expectations and disappointment. We're not going like to that. mention no, that. No, we're not going. To, we're not going to talk about that. But um, how do you see their prospects and the prospects of everyone else in the group, Bobby? Um, you know, the the sometimes the the, the media in England, the, you know, the, as you pointed out, they waver so much. They they go through 180 degree turns. Um, I actually quite fancy their chance of getting out of this group. I don't think it's nearly as bad as people are making out. Um, um, Italy's obviously strong. Uh, Uruguay, um, I think are are a, a good team in a certain set of circumstances. Uh, some of the stuff I've heard already up in Canada on 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 uh, England playing in this group has all been about Suarez, 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 Suarez. Uh, but goal, 
goal scorers hot and cold and to think that a goal scorer is going to remain hot for the next seven or eight months I think is unrealistic and I think and, Uruguay and he's not the only goal scorer they have no you've got Cavani as well you've got they've got some good goal scorers but I just think I, I, I feel that Tabarez is stuck with the old with the, the older players that's what finally got them through qualification I won't see I don't think he's going to change come World Cup time and I think they're a team that are geared towards a counter-attack but Furlan is not going to be the player he was in 2010 and I actually am going to be surprised if Uruguay qualify I know that runs counter to what a lot of people seem to think but I, I'd be quite surprised if Uruguay come out of this group I, I think they I think they, they should qualify uh, I think they have the the more quality uh, up front in the group I think you, you don't see in Italy and in England two strikers of that level, um, Suarez Cavani. I didn't like them in 2010, but they were in the last four. I, I didn't like them because of that, you have mentioned, Bobby. Uh, they, they were a, a, a team without uh, midfielders. They yeah. really played with uh, three strikers, very, very, very hard in, in defensive uh, part yeah. of the of the field, but no midfielders to, to have the ball. But no. it worked uh, in 2010. It worked again in the uh, Copa America. It worked again in the Copa America. And and I think they are a team. They don't need to play uh, very well collective uh, football. They they have uh, very good strikers. And and now Suarez is better than in 2010. Cavani is better. It's true. Forlan is not uh, at. Uh, that level, but I think they will qualify. And I really think that England has a problem in that group. I think that they are uh, in danger of, of being knocked out in the in the first group stage. I think my my issue with England in this group is that I, I think there, there's a reputation in England press that England will rely on its hard work and their battling spirit and things like that. And you're coming up against a team in Uruguay that's all about that, you know, the Garachara you know, aspect. And even more than them, even more than them. Right, even more so. And then, so when yeah. you've, so when you've discounted that, what else do you have? And I mean, Rooney's playing extremely well right now, and you have, you have players. You know, you have certain players on the squad, on the English squad, who are world-class talents. But one, it's a, it's a matter of them being healthy by the time June rolls around. That's definitely no guarantee. And two, getting them to play well together in that kind of environment. I, I think what you're going to find when Uruguay play England that it's going to be two teams that are going to look quite similar. Because I don't think Hodgson's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of chances playing against Uruguay. Because I think he does, he probably does fear them on the counter attack. But I think uh, as much as we'll look, look forward to that game, it might turn out to be one of the uh, one of the poorest games of the tournament because I just don't see too much adventure between either coach. So, so I'm going to go ahead and agree with Bobby on England. I'm going to agree with Axel on Uruguay. The team we haven't talked about is Italy. Italy. I think yeah. Italy. I think Italy may be the team that got hurt most by this draw. And if you remember why, they were that ninth team out of that pot that got switched in. So they end up having to play another team from the European pot, which ended up being England's. They got Uruguay, which was always going to be a seeded team, which was likely going to be hard. So I think Italy's a team that got hurt one of the most, if maybe the most, the entire draw, um, having to face two teams like this. Um, 
we're not going to talk about Costa Rica. They're the minnows of this group. But um, Costa Rica I, I, could I do some damage, though. I don't agree with that, really. Yeah. I think Costa Rica can. I think Costa Rica will play these teams a lot harder than than they think. I don't think Costa Rica are going to get blown away by any means. I think you go back to um, go back to 2010. They pushed Uruguay pretty hard in that uh, that playoff game between Concacaf and Conmebol. I, I I don't think I, realistically. I don't. Think I would absolutely up front. I don't think Costa Rica will qualify. But back to this aspect of potentially being a banana skin, I could see them doing some damage to one of the other three teams, and maybe in the end of the day, that might be the difference between qualifying and not qualifying. I, I see Italy as top team in that group. Uh, I think they have the uh, maybe the, the 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 best manager of of, uh, of the teams in that group, and they have uh, an idea of how to play. They are um, very very uh, they were very brave in the European Championship. They surprised it a lot of people, and only problem I can see is that Andrea Pirlo is not at that level now. Uh, he is uh, getting older and, and not playing so good for Juventus uh, this this season. But uh, he's an intelligent uh, man, and maybe uh, he's resting himself for for World Cup. Maybe he, he gives the best in the World Cup, and he uh, I think he's the main player for Italy in this century. He was. Uh, uh, the the K man in 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 AC Milan in Juventus now and in 2006 also had a very very important role. I think one of the questions the question mark for me over Italy is that the defence in the Confederations Cup last summer looked very un-Italian like. Um, Buffon did not have a good tournament either, and so I think Prandelli cannot go to the World Cup next summer with a defence in disarray like it was in Brazil last year. So if he can patch that defence together and get them better organised and get some better defensive performance out of them, um, you know that, that that's going to, I think, very much dictate how far Italy's going to go in the tournament. But they have an advantage. Uh, the, the three uh, defenders play together in, in Juventus. Uh, you have Bartagli, Chiellini, Bonucci. They play together in, in Juventus. It, it's something that other other teams can't present. The three defenders playing together as, as they are playing in Juventus. Unfortunately, last summer they played together, but they've all played badly together. Yeah, but that's not the <laughs> usual thing. They are normally playing well together. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Group E, um, Switzerland, Ecuador, France, and Honduras. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I actually see this as kind of the, the opposite of Italy. If I remember, at least for the past few weeks, we were always on the assumption that France was going to be that ninth team in Europe that was going to be stuck in and have to play a seeded team and another European team, and it turns out they're not. And if you see the difference between Italy's draw and France's draw, it's night and day. France is the favorite in this group to me. Um, there's, I, I think France and Ecuador are probably the two that make it out, but um, just take a compare what Italy's going to have to go through in the first three matches versus France and you can see how big of a thing that was for FIFA to not reverse their decision but make their decision that it was a random one of the nine teams go through instead of the lowest team in FIFA ranking which which is France so that that's a very big thing that happened in Australia that probably hasn't been noticed 
too much. They, they think they are the luckiest team in the in the draw of the 32 friends because they are not a city and they have better draw than uh, Spain, than uh, Germany, than uh, than uh, Italy, as you Italy. said. But uh, they have uh, they they are like being seeded because they are better than the other three three teams. They had a fantastic draw because. Uh, they had uh, Ecuador and not Chile. They had uh, Honduras and not Mexico. Uh, they had Switzerland, which was uh, the worst one of the. They are not a bad team, but obviously they are. They were the the, the worst of the eight seeded team. So it was perfect draw for them. It helps to have friends in high places. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, but we also know with France, they've got uh, they've got they do have this nasty habit of imploding. And uh, making being their own worst enemy, so I think you've always got to consider that as well. Like, what frame of mind are France going to go to to this World Cup in? That, that's they, an interesting question. How does how's the 2010 version compare to the 2014 version? Because it seems to me that France has a lot of good young talent coming up right now. You know, they did. You know, they won the under 20s. They did extremely well at youth competitions. Um, you know, and they're playing. They're playing well for their for their club teams. Um, the, the the thing, to, Howard, the thing that that's missing for for me in terms of this French team is they've got great talent. They've got depth of talent in certain positions. The one thing that just cries out is they haven't got a creative midfield player. They've got a great attacking midfield player who can get forward and support either Benzema or Giroud. Like they're really playing Nasri there is not a solution for them. Nasri is a continuity player. He's good coming off the wings, but you put him in the centre of the midfield and ask him to control things, and he finishes up playing square balls till the cows come home. Um, so they they haven't got an answer there. So they've either got to change their tactics or they've got somebody that can play that role, and that that's a big question mark over France for me. And it's not only about. Uh... Football. It's uh, also about uh, the atmosphere in the in the team. I, I think they have not uh, solved that problem in the last four years. Uh, Laurent Blanc tried to do it. Uh, he couldn't uh, get it, and, and he uh, departed. And and then Didier Deschamps also has had troubles. Uh, Nari is a, is a player which is very criticized by French media. Uh, uh, every every time he's playing, uh, he he's like uh, when they lost in in Ukraine, he, he he was for the media the 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 one to blame, and and you have Riveri, which uh, Riveri is a, the top player, but it's it's not a, a he has not a, a togetherness with the rest of the team. It's it's like a team without a, a big leader uh, in in the team. The, the captain is the keeper and. and Hugo Lloris, and he's very, very shy. He's not a, a captain with with character. So, I, I think they have some problems in that in that uh, in that point of view. Uh, football, they have very very good players, Benzema, Ribery, um and the young ones, Pogba, Baran. But but uh, they are also a very complicated team in in the dressing room. I think you I think you nailed it there, actually, uh, Axel. As you look at France and you look at the talent they have, you add it all up and they come to less than the sum of the team. 
You know, teams are supposed to be more than the product of their parts, but with France, they actually seem to, you put all these parts together and the actual, the, the performances just isn't there. So uh, how do you see Switzerland as, as a seeded team in the group? Do they have a chance of finishing in, in the top two? Uh, could Ecuador or maybe Honduras compete with them? Yeah, yeah, they should qualify. I think that, that they uh, Switzerland should qualify as, I don't know if uh, uh, they, they could uh, qualify even uh, top of the group. They did in, in 2006. They were in the same group than France, and top of the group was Switzerland, and France was uh, runner-up, and then uh, they made the final. So the, the, they can do it again. They have uh, Shakiri, they have Shaka, they have uh, talented players. Uh, FC Basel is, is playing really well in Champions League, and some of the, their players are in the national team. Uh, so for me, they were the, the, the worst of the seeded teams, but they are not definitely, they are not a bad team. I got it. All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think Honduras will play teams a little tougher this time. Um, but I don't, I don't see them getting out of the group. But I think they could be a surprise for some teams. It, it will be intriguing to match against Ecuador because you have the former, you have the former coach of Honduras who led them into the 2010 World Cup against the current coach who, who's also Ecuadorian. So I think there's some, that'll be, it'll be an interesting match there. But I don't think it'll impact the outcome of the group. I think they quite, the, 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 when you look at Ecuador, you, you you wonder about Ecuador in terms of travel. Like they, so much of their qualifying traditionally is based on strong home forum, the advantage of playing at altitude, um, that kind of thing. Um, you wonder going to Brazil, not having that uh, that, that, that advantage of, of playing at altitude, how that might affect them. Having said that, I think Ecuador could go through. Honduras are kind of like Australia. I couldn't come up with any scenario in any group where I'd have Honduras and Australia with a chance of qualifying any group at all. Right. And so I think yeah. they might play them tight, but they're not going through. I think Ecuador will be playing under a lot more emotion because of Christian Benitez. And I, not just because of, not, but there's, in addition to the emotional aspect, Christian I, I Benitez is really hard to replace. I don't think if, if I, I don't know if it is uh, uh, if it will help them or it will be a, a problem for them because uh, obviously the, the the time has has uh, has passed and 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 in the World Cup it will be one year since the death of Christian Benitez but uh, in the last games of the qualifying. Uh, you could see they are they were really affected by uh, by by the death of, of Benitez. I don't see how how it could be uh, analyzed the, this situation. Yeah. I think it'll be very, I think it's very difficult for him to find a replacement for him because he was just you know he was one of the best players in Ecuadorian history, um, and I think it's very hard. I think it's very hard for any team to find a replacement for a player of that level, but especially uh, for a national team like Ecuador. There's another aspect on Ecuador, which we haven't talked about with other teams, is they're playing in their home continent. This is something that's been South American teams, I believe, are seven for seven winning World Cups in the Western Hemisphere in the Americas. Um, they're the only team, obviously, from the continent in this group. Uh, they did very well in qualifying. They were ahead of Uruguay the entire time. They were 
almost one of those teams that yeah Ecuador will make the World Cup that's fine they'll be in, they'll be in there but that's I think there are 200 other countries in this world that would like to be in that boat uh, for me Ecuador is the second favorite in this group behind France interesting um, yeah I I don't know I I think they could surprise France uh, I, I think first place is a toss-up but I think uh, second place might be a toss-up. I think it could be played between those three teams, Switzerland, Ecuador, and France. And I think Honduras might be able to pick off a point from either one of those three teams, but I don't think it will change the outcome of the group. All right, so let's talk about Group F. Um, group F is Argentina, Bosnia, Iran, and Nigeria. Um, so that... That's, you know, Argentina gets to play Nigeria again, but it seems to be a very accessible group for them. Absolutely, yeah. This is another dream draw for Argentina, similar to Brazil, actually, where um, they're devoid of any team in the top 20, top 25 in the world. Bosnia may be there, actually, but uh, they're in the lower teams. So uh, anytime you can get a favorite in the tournament that doesn't have to play even remotely close to another favorite in the tournament in the group stage, it should be very, very easy sailing for Argentina to get through. Uh, Bosnia and Nigeria, that'd probably be a good match. Um, I'd say those are the two for two and three. Um, but the story for me is, is Argentina, similar to Brazil, with a very good draw. Well, I thought Argentina have uh, probably got as good a draw as anybody. Um, even though they're beginning to edge down, so they're going to have to play the tournament over fewer days. Um, it's a great draw for Argentina. I kind of think Bosnia uh, could be a team that uh, might be one of the surprise teams of of the um, of this tournament. Uh, you get into Iran, I think they're just going to find themselves out of depth. Nigeria, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. You never quite know about the administrative problems they've historically had as well. Um, uh, Nigeria looked like, to me, uh, looked like a team certainly during the Confederations Cup that looked quite geared and quite effective on the counter-attack. Uh, but the, when they're playing a team that was well-organized at the back and got, got players behind the ball, uh, they seem quite clueless in terms of how to break down the defense. So I think you'll see a lot of teams trying to sucker Nigeria in, pull them forward and, uh, and try and hit them on the break. Well, I, I think Bosnia-Herzegovina is, is a very attacking-minded team, so maybe uh, in the counter-attack, uh, Nigeria will have an, a chance against them. Um, Bosnia-Herzegovina, their best players are attackers, so they play a lot of attackers. They have Dzeko, they have Mishimovic, they have uh, Pjanic, they have... Uh, even they are playing uh, Salihovic uh, as a, a left back when in Germany he's playing in in central midfield. So th they are very very attacking minded, and and I think they have a chance of qualifying. In fact, I think they maybe are are uh, the, the the favorites to be the the runner up in in this group. But obviously Nigeria, uh, I think maybe uh, they are the best team in in Africa now. They won the African Nations Cup. And, and they qualified very, very well. So uh, they have some, some very good players in, in, at this moment. I think MNIK is very, very, very fast, very, very, very fast. And, um, and for me, Iran is, is maybe the, the team without uh, chances in, in this group. Okay. So anyone else want to talk about 
talk about Group F? Well, the interesting thing, just to add to this as well, and looking further down the road, looking to the knockout round, if Bosnia did finish up as runners-up, I believe they'll flip across and play the winner of that Switzerland-France, um, Ecuador-Honduras uh, group, which is not a bad uh, draw for a team for a, that might finish as a runner-up. You, you could have uh, Switzerland, Bosnia, Herzegovina in yeah. second round. Yeah, that's Bosnia. I think would uh, quite uh, would be quite happy with that draw. Yeah. So, it, so it's very possible that our dark horse in the World Cup could come out of either this group or or Group E. Yeah. 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 I was going to say the same thing. Working. It's it's great for Bosnia, but I'm sure it's great for France or Switzerland or uh, Ecuador. I'm sure they would love to play Bosnia in the round of 16 yeah. just as much as Bosnia would. So right, but it goes uh, both ways. Yeah, I I do think that these these Balkan states are very tricky to play against because of the way that they play. I think European teams may have an easier time with them because they're more familiar. They're more familiar with them. They see them more often. But I think teams from other parts of the world would have a lot more difficulty, potentially. Uh, Bosnia. Bosnia is, is, is a team that uh, it, it's true that it's the first time they are in a World Cup, but they were almost in a World Cup for yes, three times. times. Yeah, so so yeah. they are competing well uh, in the last uh, fifteen years, maybe. Um, and it, it's true that they uh, win a lot of points at home because they are playing their games in a very very small stadium in a very small city. They are not playing in Sarajevo because of uh, that atmosphere is better in in that small ground. But uh, if you look at the results, they are getting results also away from home. So I, I think they, they have a chance, really, they, they have a chance. I think you've also got to consider when you look at their qualifying record this time around, they held their nerve. Like there was always a chance when they uh, lost that home game, I think it was to Slovakia, and things had been going so well up to that point that maybe with some of the history they had, particularly in finishing up in playoffs and going out to Portugal on a number of occasions, that maybe the pressure might have got to them, but they uh, they regrouped or even went down, I think, away to Slovakia the week after that, and they held their nerve and came back and won and won the group. So I think that uh, that think gives you a little bit an idea of the character as well, and I, I think it really works in their favour in terms of being a first-time team at the World Cup. I think you'll see a lot of pride and you'll you'll see a, a, an awful lot of passion coming from them. All right. Okay, so let's talk about Group G now, and that is uh, Germany, Portugal, Ghana, and the USA. Um, in my opinion, uh, this is the second group of death. Um, has some interesting uh, storylines, um, uh, particularly from the U.S. side, because U.S. get U.S. gets to play Ghana again. Um, you get uh, you get an encounter between uh, Yogi Love and Jurgen Klinsmann, um, Germany, Portugal. Um, but I I think the U.S. You know we, we talk about Group A at Mexico's. Um, yeah, Mexico's fortune and the U.S. is fortune in Group G. And for me, it just goes to show that no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> so uh, as the resident American on this panel, I'll go first. The, uh, so two things about the USA draw here. 
One is we have to remember our expectations. Going into this draw, we were always going to be in bad shape. Our average draw, according to SPI, was about 44, 45% to advance. There really were a lot of bad scenarios that we could have gotten. This is not the worst one. Um, our uh, SPI has the USA is about a 39, 40% chance to advance now. So it is a little bit less, but relative to not being in good shape from the beginning, it could be a lot worse. Secondly, what and related to that is Ghana. The Americans have this thing with Ghana. Now we've lost two, two, two straight times. Remember one, nothing both times. Um, Ghana is not Germany. They're not Italy. They're not these teams that are going to win the world cup. Yes, we've lost to them twice, but we should be fine with Ghana. We are a better team than Ghana. We will be fine with them. That partly is for the reason why USA is all up in arms about this draw, but the bigger problem here is going to be Portugal. We need to have a result against Portugal to have a chance to get through this. I'm much more worried about Portugal than worried about Ghana. Um, I guess that's the second resident American of the of the panel. Um, I, I saw some tour traffic and... Um, a little bit uh, Twitter traffic uh, during the afternoon. And one person, I think it was Alex Olshansky, um, said that he didn't get um, some of the um, some of the paranoia about Ghana because, in his opinion, the USA played them very closely in the two matches that they played. Um, I think there's... I think there's um, a reasonable argument for that. I think in, this, in the second match... Um, in the second match, they did play them very closely, but and probably they deserved to draw, but they needed a win, um, and you know they just weren't good enough to get that. In the second, in, in the knockout stage game last time, I felt it was one of the better knockout matches of the tournament, and both teams had equal chances to win. Um, maybe Bob, Bob Bradley didn't have his best lineup at, out his best initial lineup and it forced him to make some substitutions that he couldn't get in the overtime period. But I think it was a very evenly played game. Um, but uh, Albert, you're right. The other two matches, the other two matches are scary uh, for, for us fans because um, yeah, you know, um, I, I, I it's going to be very, very difficult for the U.S. to get a point against Germany, and I think it'll be just as difficult to get a point against Portugal because um, we have no we have no counter against a player like Cristiano Ronaldo or even some of the other players they have. I think one one key uh, factor in this group is the game Germany against United States because of uh, Jurgen Klinsmann being the manager and some players being born in Germany. So uh, mm. I, I think this is a, a game in which obviously if you look at the players, you should say uh, Germany is better. But uh, I think there are some uh, uh, personal things and some emotional things that could make it more intriguing that it it uh, it uh, would be if there were not these connections i think here here's a question for everybody does is there anybody out there that thinks that thinks that germany will not qualify no way they're definitely no. qualifying so what so what we're down is one out of three positions so when you look at it ghana you united states have to beat ghana they have to beat ghana in that first game 
And then they have to hope that Germany have maybe knocked some stuffing out of Portugal and made them doubt themselves, put some pressure on the second game and hope they can get something out of that. But I can't, I cannot come up with this, a reasonable scenario that has the US qualifying without beating Ghana, for starters. And that, that, that's, a, that's a minimum. That's where you start off and then get the result against Portugal and maybe maybe a draw against Germany if, if Germany have already qualified. I agree with that. I, the, the game with, with Ghana, you're right, is probably a must-win. Um, another thing, going back to the Ghana thing, this loss that we last played to them was four years ago. I think yeah. by any standard, the United States has gotten better in the last four years. I'm not so sure Ghana has. And like Howard was saying, it wasn't like Ghana rolled, rolled over us in those two matches in the past two World Cups. We were on equal footing with them. We happened to lose one nothing. One other small thing that may play in the United States' favor, although it's small, is we play Germany third. So Germany will be heavy favorites against Ghana and likely favorites against Portugal. If they're already at six points when the United States gets them, there's a good chance Germany's not going to be playing their best players in that match, having already clinched. So that could be a way that United States could sneak a point out of that match is via the fact Germany may not be playing their A team. Right. So let's talk a little bit more about Portugal and Germany because I think you have two teams there that are that could be spoken of as World Cup contenders. Definitely the case of Germany, maybe not so much now in the case of Portugal. Um, how do they how do their chances stack up in the group? Germany have got to start Germany have got to win a trophy. Like they've been yeah. there and thereabouts. Um, two thousand six they surprised us. They went on with a decent performance in two thousand and eight, got the final. Two thousand and ten surprised us to some extent again. We got to the semi final. 2012 well, again well, it always, goes on they've got to win there. they're always but they've I mean, got they've, they've, but this is the this is the long 54. sorry i'm sorry i think this is the longest stretch i think they're now beginning to uh, the stretch they had after 1954 i think they're pretty close they may have exceeded it in terms of time without winning a major trophy so you know as good as they've been and and as breathtaking some of the football and so how surprising some of the football's been that we've got out of germany the reality is they haven't won a trophy and they need to win a trophy right i think uh, i i could see i could see germany making it to the semi-finals but I think they will come across the same issue that they came across in the last two international tournaments. Once you make it, yep. Excuse me. Once you make it to the semifinal level, um, or once you make it to the semifinal stage, um, it's you know you're competing against teams on equal footing, and um, for for one reason or another, they play against teams that match up very well against them at at that stage, and they haven't figured a way to break past that. Um, maybe in, in in four years, they I think they're just as good now as they were four years ago. And the thing was, four years ago, they were still a very young team. Um, so you have a lot of players starting to come into their prime, and they might, you know, they have they have the experience. You know, especially with their, you know, with their Bundesliga-based players, um, you know, to, to make a real impact. Um, but, yeah. but they are having some problems in defense. I, I think they, they are uh, conceding a, a lot of goals. Uh, they, they have drawn uh, Sweden 4-4. They have uh, won in Sweden 3-5. They have drawn 
against uh, Paraguay 3-3 in a, in a friendly. And they have a problem in the central defense because um, in the last tournament they played with Hummels and Batstuba as, as uh, the central defending uh, pair. And Batstuba is now injured. And, and Hummels is also uh, injured. So uh, I think that Jogilev doesn't know which doesn't know which which uh, will be the the central defending pair. So it, it's a problem for a team like Germany. Don't they don't have the the consistency in defense that they used to have in in the past now. And and also Sami Kedira will be out of the World Cup. So. Uh, probably so. So uh, th they have some problems for me, in, not in attack but in defence. When, when you look at it, them, it's a good point actually, because when you look at the depth of the squad in certain positions, they're extremely deep. And you look at particularly in the attacking positions, and you wonder how you can get so many good players on the park at one time. But there's other positions where there's there's really are issues in the defence, as you point out in the 2012 European Championships broke down against Italy. And there is a susceptibility, I think, to, to Germany on the counter-attack. And Hummels is, a, Hummels is a great passer of the ball, and he does an awful lot of good for Germany and Borussia Dortmund in, the, in, the, in terms of his technique and his technical ability. But when you get right down to it, he's a, he, he can be a suspect defender. And so do you, do you go with somebody like Hummels if he regains his fitness, or, or do you stick with somebody like a Mertesacker, who is not the quickest player in the world, but uh, reads the game very well and is having a good season for Arsenal? Yeah, in, in fact, Hummels was uh, in the semi-final against Italy two years ago. He was, uh, he was not good in that game. And, and uh, Mertesacker is now the best defender for, for Germany. He's playing well. Um, it, it looks like he's not uh, so uh, beautiful to see uh, Martin Sacker no. playing as Hummels, but but he's, he's defending better than him, yeah. Yeah, and you look at maybe, maybe a Jerome Bonatang, uh, Badstaber uh, is, it, it, you know, I think he had problems in 2012. Sorry, I'm getting his name all mixed up here. Um, but bringing in uh, somebody like a Boateng, Jerome Boateng from Bayern Munich, might help some of that problem in the middle of the defence as well, becoming a, a regular in there. All right. So um, if if that's it for Group G, let's move on. Let's finally get to the final group, uh, Group H. Uh, that is Belgium, Algeria, Russia and South Korea. And this is an interesting group because I think in Belgium you have a team that a lot of people are really high on who think that they can be um, a dark horse for the World Cup. They have some outstanding individual talent, much of which plays in England. Um, and then you have um, you know, some other teams that have appeared in the past, like Algeria, uh, Russia, uh, Russia and South Korea. Um, how do you see the group, Albert? For me, this is the weakest group of the eight. Um, I, I agree Belgium is the kind of the sexy pick there. A lot of their players play in England, which is probably why Americans and Englishmen have heard about them more. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't see Belgium as having any chance to win this World Cup, probably not even a chance to make the final. Um, they'll have a little bit of a tough draw because the winner and runner-up for this group have to play the winner-runner-up from Group G we just talked about, which will likely be Germany and Portugal and or United States. 
Um, so, yeah, I, I, to me, it's Belgium and Russia are likely the two best teams. Algeria may be the worst team in this entire tournament. Um, but, uh, yeah, Belgium and Russia went to South Korea with possibility of sneaking in with uh, Algeria. Very little chance. Uh, I, uh... Alex, uh, Axel, could you say that again, please? Sorry. I think that uh, because... Uh, uh, yeah? Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. There's a little bit of buffering. Can you hear me? Yes, oh. I can hear you. Ah, okay. So I, I, I was saying... I, I can... I, I was saying that... Uh, in, in that group, you, you have uh, maybe the worst African team of the five qualified. Uh, I think uh, Algeria is the, 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 the worst team of, of that they qualified against Burkina Faso in a free kick in, in the last minutes of the game. And uh, I, I don't see them as a, a team that can qualify, can progress. And, and uh, for me, Belgium and Russia are at the, the, the very big uh, favorites in, in this group. Russia uh, top, was top on the group in the qualifying against Portugal. So um, they are a very good team with Fabio Capello. Uh, maybe they don't have big names as... Uh, when Arshavin was at top uh, level, now he's even maybe he's not even in the in the squad for the final tournament. But but they have played very well in the qualification. And and, and then uh, Korea, uh, I, I like them how they play, but it's a little bit like Japan. Uh, you like them uh, when you see them passing the ball around, but they are not scoring goals. They don't have a uh, born goal scorer. And they are not strong in defense. So I think in a World Cup, it, it, it's very difficult to, to progress with, with, uh, without these kind of players. I think, I think it's very difficult to see any other two countries apart from Belgium and Russia going through from this group. Um, I think, as you point out, Axel, you've got to give a nod to Russia in terms of Capello even though it didn't work out too well for England. I think uh, uh, Russia's problems will probably start once they get to the last 16. Belgium, I think Belgium could be a team one day that could win a major championship, but it's not going to be this one. Uh, you go forward maybe to 2016 to France or 2018 to Russia, uh, that might be a better call for Belgium really imposing themselves on a major championship. But this, uh, they're still a very young team, and their experience is... Ex almost exclusively at the club level. They did a, a little bit of success at the 2008 Olympics, which might give them a little bit of a... Uh, help them a little bit, but generally, I, I just think the World Cup is going to be too much for them. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a Belgium-Russia group. Um, Algeria never looked like scoring in 2010, and I don't think that they will score a goal this time around either. And... I, you know, South Korea plays like a lot of, like, I think Axel was right, they play like Japan. Um, yeah. And they play a style of play that's attacking, that's exciting. I think they'll try to play football, but um, they don't have goal scorers. And I, I think it's very, well, it, in soccer, you know, if you can't score, you can't win. But, um, you know, if you can't defend well, you can't win either. And I think they're going to have problems at both ends. Um, 
you know, they could cause a surprise. I think they're a team that's capable of surprising, like they did last last World Cup. But um, I can't see how I, I can't see Belgium and Russia not finishing in the top two. The the one thing that might just be uh, a lot something that might be in South Korea's favor is the fact they play Algeria second. And I think they can beat Algeria, so that gives them at least three points. So it means going into the last game that at least they've got something to play for and there's a possibility they might get something. That might be uh, just something for them to hold on to because I think they will go in that last game with a chance of qualifying. Okay. Just one more thing with Group H, that the actual, we all agree, Belgium, Russia, the top two, but there's a pretty big difference between finishing one or two of this group because the winner will get Portugal, USA, where the loser will get Germany. So that Belgium-Russian match becomes a pretty big deal in terms of making the round of 16 or making the quarterfinals. Yeah, I, I think you can make... Uh, if I look at the look at the draw, I think maybe the Switzerland one's the same, but I would say there's a very good chance that we will not have a team from Group H in the last eight of the World Cup. Right. Agreed. Yeah, and I guess that's a little bit unfortunate for them because if I remember your column correctly, uh, Bobby... Group H was the one group where teams traveled the least and had the yeah. um, the least variation temperature. Yeah, it was it was a, actually the, these were two pretty good positions. Now the one thing that negates it slightly is the further you go down in the groups, the less time you have to play your games. So you're playing as many games in a short period of time. So that that potentially could could uh, could hurt uh, Group G and Group H as the further they go into the tournament, but. Yeah, it's um, there's. If you put a Germany, say, in Group H, you would have increased their chances considerably of winning the World Cup. I think. Yep. Okay, so um, so now we've looked through all of the groups in detail and had a chance to, I guess, think our way through all of them. Um, <laughs> has your overall impression of the draw changed? Um, uh, how I think overall, how do you see how do you see this World Cup? Knowing knowing we're seven months away, knowing that we still have a long grinding European season ahead of us, um, is it going to be is it going to be a matter of which teams haven't been banged up um, by the European season, or which team which national sides have players from clubs that have been knocked out of Champions League or Europa League early? Um, I, think, I think it's all these things, Howard, really. There's so many things can happen. But I go back to the premise that the, the big four being Brazil, Spain, Germany and Argentina, out of these four, and maybe this is a, a question to, to Axel, is where does Spain sit, Axel? Like they've been at the top of their game since 2008. They've, they've kind of rejigged the team a little bit, but they have, have, have Spain got enough... Uh, gas in the tank to, to to rev up again and have a have a real go in Brazil and and potentially win this. People is very worried about uh, the fitness of some players. Xavi Hernandez, uh, I think it's it's the the one that uh, is now uh, the the main uh, uh, the main problem for Spain because he's not playing well in Barcelona. Barcelona is not really playing well no. at that time, so uh, it, it uh, also affects Andres Iniesta, uh, which he is not as old as Xavi Hernandez. 
but he's not playing well. If the World Cup uh, would start tomorrow, I think Spain would have... I, I, I will not say they would not have a, a chance to win, but uh, they would not be the, the main favorites. Uh, the team is not good now, but uh, you, you uh, people hope that when the season finish and they start to to be together and train together uh, maybe they can uh, they can change but uh, uh, i think spain in this world cup is not favorite to win i think uh, i think it's it will be more 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 difficult than the previous tournaments uh, axel is it fair to is it fair to argue that as barcelona and real madrid go so go the Spanish national team. Well, now, now uh, uh, it, it looks like uh, the relationship between the players is better than in the past three seasons. Uh, uh, when uh, Jose Mourinho was uh, at Real Madrid, <laughs> uh, you know that the, the games were with a lot of confrontation and even he was very unhappy because Iker Casillas uh, called Xavi Hernandez to try to help the national team. And uh, it, it, in fact, it has been in the news these days because uh, Aitor Karanka uh, didn't uh, make an interview in uh, in the Spanish media. Now he's coaching Middlesbrough, but uh, was in the Spanish TV and. and he said that uh, they were very, very, very unhappy with Iker Casillas calling Xavi Hernandez. So, uh, uh, Andres Iniesta said that the relationship between the players uh, is not uh, the, the best one with some players, with some players, but that it was worse in the past. Uh, maybe in the last European Championship. Uh, they had also these problems, and in the end, when they had to play together, they played together well. I, I guess the question I was asking was, if if uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid are playing well in La Liga and in Europe, does that give? Does that also help the Spanish national team, or has it become a lot more decentralized from Barcelona and Real Madrid now? Uh, well, uh, in the end of the day, uh, all all the top players will be uh, in top competitions. Uh, I, I don't think it's a problem for for um, for the team that Barcelona and Real Madrid are playing uh, well. Um, I think the problem is Barcelona is not playing well, and it is affecting. Uh, uh, Iniesta and Xavi Hernandez and, and some other players of the of the team. So uh, I think the best thing for Spain is that Barcelona starts to play uh, better and 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 Real Madrid plays plays uh, good. Uh, I, I I think uh, it it would be the best for the team. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, any other points that uh, people would like to make? I would just say one more. If, if, if we're all in agreement here that Brazil, Germany, Spain, Argentina are the top four, the semifinals would look, would have Brazil matched up against Germany and Argentina match up against Spain. Um, I don't know what people think about that. We've never really discussed the top four and who, who's better, Brazil, Argentina. But for my money, that matches up well for Brazil. I, I think Brazil is the heavy, heavy favorite in this tournament. I think I wouldn't take them against the field. It's not that heavy, but... 
um, I think you're getting pretty close to that. Um, playing at home, how they looked in the Confederations Cup, so how some of their players are now start. They're really young, but now they're starting to play really well for club teams where two, three years ago they these players weren't. Um, I think they're the heavy favorites in this. You guys agree with that? Yeah, I think if you asked me last year, I probably would have told you that the pressure would have gotten to the Brazilian national team. Just the pressure of of playing well in a Brazilian World Cup. You know, you will always have you will always have people talking about 1950, even if it was two or three two generations ago, or two or three generations ago, I should say, um, because ever because. Everyone in Brazil wants you to play in such a way that 1950, what happened in 1950, can never happen again. Um, I think after the Confederations Cup and the way they played, particularly in the final, I think that made people see Brazil as genuine as genuine World Cup contenders. And you know, I, I think they'll they'll definitely be there. They'll probably make it to the final. Um, and I think once you make once a host team makes it to the final, um, it's very difficult to bet against them uh, in, in, a, in a home final. Um, but I think Brazil will be under some pressure, and uh, they'll be under more pressure the further they go into the tournament. Um, I think Brazil Brazil have a very very good chance of making of winning the World Cup. Um, but I think nothing else, nothing less than that will do for Brazil. I, I was surprised at how well they played in the Confedera Confederations Cup last summer. Um, but the more, the further away we've got from the Confederations Cup, there was an awful lot of things went well for Brazil. Uh, there was a number of games where they got early goals that settled them down. Um, I just, uh, it was almost like Scalari caught some sort of magic in the bottle for that period of the Confederations Cup. And I think it certainly, in the short term, took away pressure from Brazil because it stopped the, the fans questioning Brazil. But ultimately, Scalari, if he wins the World Cup, is going to do it by, by power, strength and organisation. Uh, we haven't seen a very, we haven't seen an out-and-out -out entertaining Spanish, uh, Brazilian team for many, many years, perhaps even coming up for a generation. So I don't think it's going to be samba football that wins it for them. It's going to be strength, organisation, power, and probably some opportunism from the likes of Neymar. But I think, uh, in a way, I think that's how he did it in 2002. I mean, it oh, very much. Had, very it much. helped that he had. It helped that he had Ronaldo, but. I remember in 2002, they had a very difficult qualifying campaign. They had to win yep. away in Venezuela just to qualify. And um, Scolari completely turned around the team. And you know, he had the sports scientists as, as well helping him get you know, Cafu and Ronaldo and some of these other players up to fitness. But you know, I think Scolari, Scolari's coaching style is built for Brazilian teams. You know the more paternalistic style. It's a big family, a very strong team, cohesive team unit. I I think I think that's the reason why he's so successful in Brazil and maybe not so much in Europe. Um, I think I think the one the one thing that's different in 2002 though is you're looking in a player like Oscar, 
I think Brazil have a an out and out creative midfield player. You look, you, Axel mentioned Uruguay in 2010. Brazil 2002 wasn't much different. They had the three R's up front: Ronaldinho, Ronaldo, and uh, Rivaldo, I guess. Um, back then but the rest of it was basically about they got they got a lot of width from the likes of Roberto Carlos and Cafu but the rest of them were it's a case of playing defensive midfield players and center backs and just uh, clogging the middle of the field so it'll be interesting Oscar looked he had a good tournament last summer and I, I think that maybe gives Brazil something a little bit different and something a little bit extra they didn't have him back in 2002 but um, I still think it's it's going to be about strength and power in, in terms of if Brazil go on to win this. Well, you, you have a, a, a difference uh, uh, if you compare to, to the Confederations Cup. Uh, Paulinho and Neymar, they are now playing in Europe. And, and I don't know if it uh, can make a difference in terms of having a, a, a more uh, difficult season. Um, Maybe they are more exhausted in the in the World Cup. I don't know, but it's different for them. To to it's different style of playing football. Uh, uh, for Paulinho, it's very physical. The Premier League and he's uh, uh, running a lot uh, because of the position in, in which he's playing. So uh, I don't know, but uh, for me, Argentina. Uh, if if Lionel Messi is at top top level, Argentina has a very very big chance of winning it. Uh, uh, he's the best player in the world for me, and uh, and uh, he can win the the tournament. Um, and, and he's not playing alone. He's playing with Iwain, Di Maria, Aguero. So um, I really think that if Messi is okay. Um, Argentina has a very, very big chance of winning it. I think he's got a better defence behind him as well than he did three for three years or four years ago at the last World Cup as well. That that Argentina back four in 2010 was not up to scratch. And when you finished up with Gutierrez playing at right back, um, that summed up how bereft of talent Argentina were at the back. But defensively, this I think there's a sense that they're a lot more solid this time around. They have a manager which is more concentrated in the in the defensive tactics. Maradona was very um, focused on attacking players, but uh, the the team was like uh, five players defending and five players attacking, and not and, and they were very very separate. Uh, the the yeah. team was very long. So uh, I think Sabella is 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 a better tactician than than Maradona. God, I think. Just about all of us could be a pair of tacticians, Maradona. <laughs> Maradona and Kevin Keegan, the dream team. <laughs> um, all right. Well, on that note, we're we're almost at the end of our time together. So, where can people follow all of you online? I'll start with you, Bobby. Okay, well, I'm on, uh, usually do a weekly Forbes column, but the World Cup week, it's been a couple. I might even put another one up tonight, but uh, you can usually find me at Forbes.com or Soccer Report Extra on Twitter at, at Bobby Soccer Rep or on, if you're based in Canada, you can see me on Mondays and Thursdays on Soccer Central on Roger Sportsnet. Excellent. Axel? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh... 
I don't know if you will understand because I am writing in Spanish and uh, talking Spanish, but uh, you can try in, in uh, I have a, a website. I have created a website with my uh, staff in the radio show we have in Radio Marca. So the, the website is Marcador e marcadorint.com so uh, well uh, and in twitter uh, I, I share a lot of the the pieces so it's my name in twitter axel torres so uh, there will will show you you will will look for it then okay and axel i just have to say that i first found out about you on on radio marca listening to the champions league games and i thought you were by far the best of the international football um pundits on there uh, th thank you, but I, you are too generous, uh, too kind, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listen to this guy. It's like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. I've got to meet him. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, thanks, Axel. So, um, Albert? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it easy for us. Uh, ESPNFC.com. That's where all of our stuff lives. Um, for all soccer power index uh, information, ESPNFC.com slash SPI. Um, you can find me on Twitter, A-D-L-A-R-C-A-D-A, -A -A, underscore ESPN, um, and all of the other uh, ESPNFC uh, talent that we have. We're, we're all around. ESPNFC.com is the best place. Excellent. And I'll place the links in our show notes, which you can find at podcast.soccermetrics.net. So that's going to do it for our time here. Uh, the groups have been filled. We know the group stage matchups. And we will have a lot to discuss and revisit between now and June 12. So my guests for this episode of the Soccer Metrics Podcast have been Albert Larcada, Bobby McMahon, and Axel Torres. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. So this is Howard Hamilton of Soccer Metrics Research. Thank you for listening to the Soccer Metrics Podcast. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Soccer Metrics Podcast. The Soccer Metrics Podcast is available for free from iTunes, so you can listen to it again and again. To find the notes for this edition and learn more about our research, services, and other resources, visit the site at SoccerMetrics.net. You can also find us on Twitter, at SoccerMetrics. So until next time, this has been another edition of the Soccer Metrics Podcast.